Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined, as always, by Blazer's outsider, Danny Meringue. Danny, how's it going? Is this where I'm supposed to fake the enthusiasm? Hey, how's it going, guys? All right. Sweet. Awesome. Sad. Well, excuse me. If you are not (laughs) going to be enthusiastic today, I'm happy to introduce our guest. We Uh, do have a guest today joining us. We have Jeff Siegel here. He is a writer for Blazer's Edge. He's also an editor for Peachtree Hoops, and he is the founder of Early Bird Rights. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Early Bird Rights later. So how are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing well. I'm very happy to be here. I guess Dan can, uh, he can hang up and go away, but we're, uh, I'm very happy to, to be talking basketball in late August. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate your enthusiasm for this. <laughs> I'll, I'll let Jeff get away with that one just because I, I sent him DMs randomly at two o'clock in the morning on CBA questions. So and I'm happy to answer them. <laughs> Well, Dan, I do know that you're pretending that you're not excited, but I do happen to know that you are excited about something the Trailblazers just did. Yes, absolutely. Um, that is, of course, I'm talking about they just released some super cool looking new jerseys. So um, yes. what are your guys' thoughts? Uh, these are the jerseys I've been clamoring for for a while. Um, the last time they had anything that resembled it was, I think, Brandon Roy in like 09 or 10. I still think that the the vertical text, lowercase kind of cursive font it, on the red jerseys is arguably the best jersey I've seen in professional sports. It like it hits on every single level. It ticks every box. Uh, just the layout, the design, how it all comes together. And I was really wondering because I knew they were going to do something. They were going to do a retro, but how to keep that feel while, while modernizing it. And it's something you and I talked about on Twitter a little bit was the stripes on the side and how they incorporated the waistband and how they kind of kept that feel and still kind of managed to find that balance for the last couple of years. You'd be like, that's cool, but it's missing something. This just hits every level. Jeff, have you had a chance to see them yet? Yeah, I'm looking at them now actually. And they are, uh, they're, I mean, they're great. I love those you know, the, the Blazers uh, uniforms from that uh, that championship run in 77. You just you see the highlights of uh, Bill Walton doing his thing. And these are the the uh, the jerseys that he's you know, that he's got on. And so, you know, it's cool that they're sort of bringing that back. I love their modern jerseys, too, like their actual like regular, you know, black and white. So, you know, I'm not somebody who looks at their regular jerseys and goes, oh, my God, they have to blow this up. And so this classic thing is is awesome, too. This it's just everything is great. You know, I, I like the the red, white and black. Uh, with the with the Blazers and just you know their whole color scheme is is my favorite kind of color scheme in sports anyway. So you know for them to bring back the classic to you know work that in with their their current jerseys is you know a home run for me. The other cool thing is they they did put the old pinwheel on the shorts. Like, okay, I haven't seen the shorts. I'm just looking at the shirts, but the yeah. the, uh, the the shorts with the old pinwheel that'll be cool too as well. They have the the straight vertical one. Uh, but it is the two color straight vertical, so the red and black, not the the uh, white and red uh, from that era. But like everything about these is just perfect, and I will be purchasing a lot of them. <laughs> a lot of them. Oh, <laughs> I. I will get a couple different variations. I'll probably get a Nurk, a Dame, uh, an Anthony, something like that. I I am I have mixed feelings about the the vertical font just for readability's sake, but I mean we all know it says. Oh, of course you do. I know, so I I guess it's cool, but I I really like them because for the last couple of years I've been a little bit disappointed in their like special jerseys. Like you know I've always loved the the white 
and the black. And then it took me a while, but I'm like now completely on board the roadkill jerseys. I have my own version of it and everything. But then like the extra ones that they released, I wasn't like a huge fan of. But this one, I think they look awesome. I like you said, like you said, I love the stripes down the side. Um, I love the how the front of their uh, of the shorts look. The back is a little bit plain. Um, so I think it would have been fun if they'd had like the rip city above the waistband, like they did, um, in the old, old red jerseys, but I'm super excited about these. I, I think they look great and it sounds like there are more to come. Is that true? It looks like there's going to be at least one more. Uh, that's probably, I'm assuming going to be, if they do something like it, the earned Jersey for the, for the playoff run, since obviously they made the Western conference finals, um, what is it? All eight playoff teams from each conference get their little earned jerseys. So hopefully they they do something cool with that as well. They, they, I, I know it sounds weird, but I think they took quote unquote a risk by doing these retro and like actually getting the retro. Like everybody remembers the plaid jerseys and like the plaid was a great idea, but it was very subtle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think when all in on this version. Yes, and I and I, I hope on the earned version they, they look at this and go, yeah, this was received really well. Let's go all in on something else too, because the design team with the Blazers, I mean, you're you're talking about a franchise that, as far as like design elements, has hit home runs basically every single time they've done it since their inception. So when they go all in, so I I, re- I really hope that they they do that with the uh, the last one here. I mean, it's it's a super tiny thing, and obviously, like nobody really likes jersey patches. But like even the jer- like even the ad patch, the bio mm-hmm. yeah. ad patch, like even that looks good. Like it, it's it, got the little like tread marks in it. It even like that one like looks like it fits the team. It doesn't like it doesn't draw attention away from the jersey itself. They kept the green out, which yeah, was they kept the green out on the other nice. two. The green yep. is only on like the main black and white ones, but the, yep. it's just white on the other ones, and that looks really great. Yeah, I I noticed that too. Um, I'm not sure if you knew this, Jeff, but the the jersey itself was unveiled after a bike ride across town where Bill Walton led I don't know hundreds or thousands of riders across <laughs> town, and Bill Walton got to be the one to reveal it. Uh, so I mean, what do you guys think about like? I mean, they're clearly all in because it's the 50th anniversary of the franchise. And now they're just bringing up 1977 over and over again. I mean, I get a little worried that we're all going to just like expect that they're going to waltz into a championship. (laughs) Um, You know, if they're going to have Bill Walton around all the time. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just Sunday. I think they're trying to tomorrow and I'm crabby. I think they're just trying to capitalize on what was the, the seminal moment of the franchise. I mean, had Clyde and Terry won one um, in their their finals appearances, then I think they'd be at the forefront, right? Uh, they they've since made amends with Bill after you know the, the messy breakup over the the feet injuries and how they were handled. I think he'll kind of be that guy, and I think he's looking forward to being that guy. Uh, they'll bring back probably Lionel Hollins when he comes through. I would assume Bobby Gross will be out there. They'll probably pay tribute to Mo Lucas. The things I'm interested in are, will they bring Clyde into the fold? Like that's still, that wasn't a great breakup. Um, Will they make things right with Zach Randolph, with Rasheed Wallace, with Brandon Roy? Like those are the ones that I'm looking forward to. Like the 77 era and the title era, that's cool. But I mean, outside of what, like the active guys and Porter and a couple other guys, like, there's some under 
you know, messier breakups that we just kind of like dust under the rug. Like how kick-ass would it be to have Sheed and Sabonis in the building one night? Oh yeah, that would be amazing. Like the place would go absolutely nuts. So it's cool that Bill's leading this. And I think that's going to bring in like the broad group of Blazers fans, especially the, the, the older generations of fans. But I think that the celebration of the 50 years needs to celebrate the guys that are probably closer to, you know, the the modern era. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking just more than just 77 because we just celebrated that a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I, I, I like that you brought in a whole bunch of other brought up a whole bunch of other names that, you know, fill out the the whole, you know, all the years of the franchise, not just that one little moment in time. Yeah, I mean, bring in Uncle Cliffy in, bring like making like Clyde feel like a part of this and Clyde, you know, Instead of saying he's a Houston guy, even if it's fake, come out and say that Portland's your second home. I don't care, dude. Pay the fan service. Just just do it because it'd, it'd be insane. Like, think about this. Like, Brandon comes into the arena oh, and you, he's – instead of like – because he's been there a few times and they've tossed him up on camera and the place went nuts. Get Brandon Roy on center court to open up a game and watch the atmosphere for that game. I wonder it, it, how many insane. I wonder how many extra wins Blazers could get just out of the energy from celebrations for bringing in old players. I wonder Bring Sheet Sabonis in there and have Sheet jokingly throw a towel at Sabonis <laughs> and watch the place go absolutely bonkers. Okay, we'll have the Blazers contact you about different activities <laughs> that they can do to celebrate during halftime. But let's move on. Um, although I just realized, what if the ones that come out at Christmas time are tie-dye? That's like the only other thing that I can think of. Oh, God, please no. <laughs> okay, so uh, another bit of news, unblazer related, but something that a lot of people have been watching over the summer is that Dwight Howard is being bought out by the Memphis Grizzlies and will be joining the Lakers this season so what are your guys's thoughts um like how is Dwight Howard on a team before Carmelo Anthony or Joe Kim Noah for that re- you know for for that uh reason uh Jeff what are your thoughts on Dwight Howard finding a home for the season I mean the, the I think the most important thing is that he doesn't necessarily have a home for the season like they they made they went way out of their way to tell us like this is a non-guaranteed contract if he messes around we're going to cut him immediately and like they were out of their way to be like we don't really like this guy we're just signing him like it was it was that kind of feel rather than it being like a celebratory hey you know this is one of our new guys and this is a, you know an ex superstar who you know we think can can put butts in seats they were very much a like if this guy steps out of line for a half second, he's out of here. So, you know, I, I'm not – I would imagine that he'll, you know, hopefully, finally, you know, be able to mature enough to to make this team. But he's not guaranteed to to be on that team. And so, you know, it's, it, it would be interesting to see if they decide to circle back around to, you know, a guy like Joe Kim Noah, you know, Maurice Spates. Those are the two guys who worked out with Howard as well uh, for the Lakers earlier, you know, I guess last week. So – you know, I think it, it'll be interesting to see if he, if Dwight can, you know, put that together and finally sort of accept the role that he's never been able to do in his, in his entire career so far. But, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I mean, obviously I'm not super high on Dwight as just a, as a basketball player and as a, as a human being, really. It's, he's, he was such a, a polarizing person in Atlanta for, for the year that he was with them and, and it just didn't really work out and they, you know, had to ship him out of town. And so, that's been sort of the the uh, the story with him everywhere, and so it's you know it's hard to imagine that you know that he'll be able to all of a sudden you know change his 
his entire demeanor. But if it happens, then uh, the Lakers will be better for it. Why would they do that, though? Like, have you seen a team do that before where they bring somebody on and they're like, oh, but if he screws up, he's out of here. I mean, yeah, we've I mean, seen it's that with relatively rare. It's relatively rare for for guys of of Dwight's sort of stature within yeah. the league and and his you know the 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 sort of superstar aspect to to his career, but you know it's it happens relatively you know with you know with guys coming off of you know things that, like either through injury or just through you know suspension. If if guys get you know majorly suspended, they'll have you know some prove it some prove it time. Obviously, this is an extreme version of that, but uh, it's it's happened before. The thing about this is, and I've talked to a few people that cover the Lakers, and the, the prevailing theme here is that the one who wanted to bring in Dwight was Jeannie Buss. And that's kind of like, that was the decision between the front office and Jeannie. Like, okay, you want to bring this guy in, but Polenka and his guys are like, nah. you got to remember, Dwight, when his time in L.A., wanted as part of his contract to have Kobe amnesty. Like, Polenka was Kobe's agent. Like, there's... It was it was messy. So understanding that relationship and how that kind of goes is is really uh, weird. But the thing about this whole idea of like going out of their way to say that you know he's gone, if he's problematic, guess what? Even if you get rid of him, you can't just cut the cancer out. Like he's gone to teams and been tossed out of teams, and they've still had issues because he's just toxic. So it's really interesting that they still willingly did this when they talk about having. They wanted a guy who was going to be a defensive presence and a rebounder. And I'm like, you could have like an incredibly well-liked, low-maintenance, great locker room dude who does those two things still well enough in Joe Kim Noah. And you opted to go for Dwight Howard. And I think that's just that that star appeal that the Buss family has just had to have for so long. They just can't seem to get away from it. Personally, I can't wait because it's going to be the real Lakers of Los Angeles, as Eric Gunderson has, has quoted it. And it's just going to be reality TV. Like the, the the personalities in that locker room, like it, there's just no way that things go smooth. And I'm just here to watch the plane crash. <laughs> <laughs> Realistically, that's what it is. Yeah, it, it is weird. I mean, your your point about, yeah, they could have had just Joe Kim Noah, who's going to show up and do exactly what's asked of him. But you know what? I am going to just put it out there in the universe that I hope – Dwight Howard has just good enough of a year that he can redeem himself, but the bla- the Lakers still struggle. That's my you, wish. You <laughs> like, almost said Blazers I there. Know, oh. I know. I should, like, I should like slap myself in the face for that. That was really bad. Okay, one, <laughs> <laughs> one last I, I got to say one, one, one thing on, on Joe, though. Like, everybody saw the Devin Booker video, right? The fact that Joe is, like, telling Devin Booker, yeah, we're throwing double teams at you. You can de- just deal with it and shut up. Like that alone was like, that's, that's the guy you want. Like you, you want a guy who's going to play defense and rebound the guy that's telling the star guard to shut up and deal with the double team. That's the guy you want to be the unsung starter to come in and rebound and play defense for you. But that's the Lakers. They don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. They make different choices. That's for sure. Uh, okay, so last thing, a uh, bit of just little newsy news thing. Uh, Team USA on Saturday night loses to Team Australia. So does this say more to us about Team USA or more about Team Australia? What do you guys think? Go for it, Jeff. Did you, did you get a chance to take, take in that game? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I don't know that it says a whole lot about either team other than like, you know, Australia's 
got some, you know, NBA guys who are, you know, relatively solid. They've been playing together for a while. And that's, I think that's the biggest Mm -hmm. aspect of all of this is that like the U S team is just sort of cobbled together and they've had lots of guys coming in and out. And all of a sudden they were going to have to sort of, you know, try to, to figure out how to, how to gel going into the tournament. But, you know, I don't think, I don't think all that much less of the USA, you know, after this, I think that they're, that might be the sort of, uh, you know, kick in the pants that they need to sort of go, Hey, like, we're not just going to walk through this tournament. We need to, you know, really play at a high level. We need to play together. We need to, you know, figure this out and make sure that, uh, our talent overwhelms everybody else's because it, these guys aren't going to just roll over for us. The, the best thing about these, these series of games, these little tune ups, right. Has been the way this Team USA team has been perceived. I mean, who's the best player on this team right now? Donovan Mitchell, Kemba Walker, Kemba. Kemba? Like, they're they're very good players, but like the, the rest are just like elite or higher end role players. The third and fourth guys on rosters who are, are good players. I mean. If you took the starting lineup from this Team USA team, it's it's a damn good team, and if like if just in the NBA alone. But again, not spending a ton of time together. The the Australian national team, one of the things they they've always done is kept their guys together. And they, the weird thing is, is Australia's actually had their own kind of issues to deal with with Bolden and Simmons and everything else, and some guys opting out, obviously, out of Team Australia, which is a little bit strange. Um, they're but these on guys their seasons, Dan. They're concentrating yeah. on their seasons. Yeah. I mean, we saw that we obviously we saw that with Team USA, and then you get the uh, big because I love throwing shade at the Lakers. Kyle Kuzma is dismissed from the team uh, as far as the final cut because of a he has an injury, Dan. <laughs> sure, he does. I love sure does. how like nobody there they now don't have to cut anybody. Yeah, <laughs> very it's... convenient that every single person uh, decided to be committed to something else or was injured. Honestly, I think a, a big part of that stems from Damian Lillard when they chose Rose over him uh, and how they handled that whole situation, knowing full well that Rose had no business being there. Um, oh, you mean fallout that, because of like the bad publicity, basically yes. everybody getting mad because they cut Damian? Yeah, and it was one of those things. And not only that, they did something that just didn't make any sense for mm-hmm. for. Team USA and Dame felt spurned. I'm sure he told plenty of other guys like, "Nah, man, this they don't they don't do it right." Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that they're trying to do that in in this sense of like, let's much like NBA teams, let's cater to these guys, let's That's- cater to their egos, and and just kind of like we don't stand to gain anything by saying, you know, we cut this guy or. Um, we're going to take this guy over this guy. I know it's professional sports and that's how it's supposed to be. But in today's world, like it just doesn't something that really transpires. An interesting theory. Jeff, anything to add on that? Yeah. I mean, other than, you know, Kuzma was not the only guy who was like injured, but not really. I mean, like in Atlanta, Trey young had the same sort of thing. Like he had an eye infection, but then like, not real, like he was, (laughs) he could have easily, not like Bob Costas eye infection. Yeah, I mean he could have played absolutely and he could have he could have tried to to make that team, but I think he saw the writing on the wall like Kuzma did and decided to get out in front of it and say, Hey, I'm gonna bow out even though I've already basically been told that like Derek White's gonna make the team over me. So, you know, it's not it's not necessarily uh Kuzma was not the only guy to to do that sort of thing, but you know, it's it it is interesting that Guys these days are so image conscious that they're willing to 
they, they want to go out of their way to say, hey, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm going to back out rather than it's like I, you can't fire me. I quit kind of thing. Yeah. And it's it's a little I mean, it's odd. It's uh, you know, it's obviously the level of of sort of ego and and stuff that we see with NBA players is not something that the rest of us sort of see in our normal daily lives. So it's hard to sort of understand what these guys are going through at that level. But it is, it is definitely a little weird that nobody seemed to ever get cut from that team. And they just sort of the the guys that they didn't want just left on their own. So, you know, it was a little weird, but I think it's just, you know, like Dan said, it's just the way that things are these days. I think it was an amazing series of coincidences. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I want to turn to talking about early bird rights. So um, Jeff, can you actually tell people a little bit about what early bird rights is? It's a website, earlybirdrights.com, that has all the salary cap information on all 30 teams, articles as often as I want to write them about salary cap stuff, roster movement, trades, whatever, my analysis on just stuff happening around the league. Once we're into the regular season, there are going to be, you know, more sort of basketball centric articles rather than, you know, salary cap centric articles. Um, it's, it's just, it's, people really like it. I think for the, the salary cap information, I think a lot of people are getting a lot of use out of the, the salary cap stuff, especially in early July and like early February around the trade deadline. Those are the, the two biggest times a year for the site right now where I can, I can update the cap sheets very quickly and get them up there a lot quicker than, than a lot of my, you know, not competitors, but the other people in this sort of, uh, you know, salary cap world that, uh, that I, I, uh, live in. So I think it's, Something that people really have enjoyed. I'm, I'm working on building out a couple extra tools. We're going to have stats and we're going to have some other stuff coming in the fall so that it can be more of a, a year-round site. But for now, people really like it for the uh, the salary cap stuff. And then I write articles if you want to read my thoughts on uh, on a lot of this stuff. I found your resources incredibly helpful. And during free agency, yours was the site that I went to. And it was really funny because when we were, I met you in Vegas. And like one time as I was looking up to see, to get the information about some trade that had just been made, I looked up and I realized that you were like right there updating the trade right there on your website that I was like waiting to go to. That was just like, that was really cool. But what I want to know is like, um, so how long have you been doing it? And why did you start? doing this i mean this is for just general nba stuff this is my sixth uh season doing it but the 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 uh, cba stuff really came along you know sort of maybe in the last like two years or so i think i saw that there were people out there doing this stuff you know eric pinkis keith smith are the are the you know two that i that really come to mind who you know i've worked with in the past a little bit but they do all of this stuff manually. And that was the biggest thing that my site does that other sites don't. Like all the information is the same, right? The numbers are the same. Damian Lillard's extension is the same number no matter who you look at. And so, you know, so that's not how I sort of decided to set my site apart from the other ones. It was more that they would take a couple of days to update things because everybody's doing everything manually. Like you have to type in, you know, 50 million, 700,000 or whatever his, his number is. And so, you know, doing that quickly on June 30th and July 1st, when things, when get, deals are flying off the table, you know, every 15 seconds is difficult. Like they were wait, they had to wait and sort of collect all that information and then update their website. So I decided like, I think I can make this faster. I think I can make this, you know, faster, get the information out there, get the information out there better and faster than these guys are. And so that's what, that's how sort of early bird rights was, was born is I made this massive spreadsheet with all sorts of weird formulas and everything. And it just updates very quickly. And I can type in, you know, 
Portland Damian Lillard max super max extension and it just flows to the website immediately and I don't have to wait for you know I don't have to wait and manually update anything I just can type it into you know one little line and it goes and so you know I think that was the the genesis of the site in uh, in the beginning and then you know as people have you know found it useful I'm sort of deciding to to build it out and make it my you know my home for everything uh, that I'm doing on the NBA so with the last time we talked, um, it was to talk about Kent Bazemore because he played for Atlanta and then he was coming to the uh, to the Trailblazers. Now that the Blazers are pretty much done with their offseason moves, what do you think about their moves overall? And I'm particularly curious because you are up to your eyeballs in all of this salary cap business and what every single team is doing in recording every single thing that everybody else is doing. I'm I'm interested in just kind of in isolation. What do you think of what the Blazers, um, you know, approach that they took during the summer? And then also, like, compared to what other teams were doing and other philosophies that you have noticed other teams uh, doing through the, you know, f- through all of your study of what's going on in I mean, I think the biggest thing, and it's not even really going to affect the 2019-20 team, is obviously, you know, the Lillard and McCollum extensions, getting those guys locked in, letting, you know, basically creating lifetime Blazers out of those two guys. That's That was the biggest move of their offseason, obviously, in total dollars and just, you know, the most important move when you can lock down, you know, your two stars to long, long, long-term extensions. That's, you know, usually going to be a good thing. I'm not in the camp that thinks that Lillard's extension is going to get, you know, hairy for them at, at some point. Maybe it will. We'll find out, you know, as he ages into, you know, the early part of next decade. But, you know, I think locking those guys into to those big contracts, that was something that we haven't seen a whole lot of. Like even with the the Supermax extension for Lillard, we've seen guys who aren't on like absolute superstar contention teams, not really take those deals. We've seen, you know, DeMarcus Cousins wanted to, you know, wanted out of Sacramento instead of signing that deal. Kawhi Leonard, same thing in San Antonio, Paul George in Indiana, Jimmy Butler. We've seen a lot of guys decide not to take the money and to want to find a better place for them to, to play basketball for the rest of their career. Both, you know, so they're sacrificing that money in order to find a better basketball situation. And the fact that Portland this many years into the the Lillard era has proven to him that yes, we're the place that you want to play. And of course the extra money is, is great as well. So, you know, I think that was an important, it was an important step for Portland to, basically convince him once again to the, that that Portland is the place for him. And so for the club to do that, and he, of course, is very well respected throughout the league, he's going to help them, you know, as they just, as they sort of move out of this sort of the current team over the last few years and are able to remake their team next summer and the summer after, he's going to be a big part of their recruitment efforts. And that's going to be, you know, a, a massive boon for them as well. So, you know, I think just locking him in to that extension, locking McCollum into that extension as well to to tie those guys together. Those were the the two biggest things that they did. You know, the rest of their moves, you know, the Baysmore trade we talked about, that's a, a fantastic move for them based on what they needed, based on what they weren't getting from Evan Turner. I was, you know, the fact that they didn't have to give up any draft pick in order to get better, like Baysmore's a better player than Evan Turner. So like they didn't have to give up a draft pick to, to make that trade. That was, you know, a, a good piece of business for them. The Hassan Whiteside thing, it's fine. I mean, it's a one-year rental. They need somebody until Nurkic is healthy. The fact that it's just the one year is is totally fine. Um, the the Harkless losing Harkless in that trade hurts a little bit, just because like I, I I like him. I think he's a good player. Obviously, they decided 
they decided really that they're going to go a little bit more offense heavy rather than defense heavy with their guys. And I think based on what we've seen, it does. I think that makes sense. I mean, offense is just more important than defense is. Like it's the people who say, and I'm one of those people who says, you know, defense is half the game. You have to play both ends. It's like in this in today's day and age, I don't think it just might not be true anymore. Like you might mm-hmm. the the best offensive teams are the teams that win, and it's just. So I think the the fact that they decided to go with guys like Baysmore, they prioritized Rodney Hood. You know, they they the fact that they're doing that sort of thing rather than you know, re-signing Alfred Wickermino, re-signing Mo Harkless or keeping Mo Harkless and trying to to run it back with the, the more defensive guys that they've had in the past. I think that sort of signals that they're shifting with the rest of the league toward, you know, offense first uh, basketball. So it sounds like to me you're thinking that that the offense over defense, it might not be like locked in throughout the league, but it's a trend that you see. Would that characterize what you... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, we, I, I've looked into it for, for early bird rights. You can find the, the, uh, actually two articles on this over there. Offense got paid this summer in like in a very linear way. Like if you were not very good offensively by like sort of the all in one metrics, like RPM and PIPM, if you were not very good on offense, you didn't get paid. If you were very good, you did get paid. And if you were very good at defense or not so good at defense, it didn't really seem to matter, like just based on the guys who, who you know, the contracts that were given out, offense gets paid and offense is what teams are going for. Offense is what teams are going to pay for. And if you are a mediocre defender and a very good offensive player, you're a max guy. But if you're a mediocre offensive player and a, you know, very, very good defensive player, you're not a max guy. You're, you know, you're going to get in the mid teens, you know, high teens, maybe if you're, if you play like the three or something like that, a very, you know, a position of need. But it's just that's so that's sort of the Portland sort of is a, a nice encapsulation of the entire league sort of moving more toward, you know, the offense first guys, I think. Jeff, one of the things I think we, we talk about in general is the level of value in a player in a contract. Obviously, the rookie deals are are incredibly valuable, the production you get out of it. When you look around the league and then you look at Portland, how do you think they do based on a value-based standpoint? That, by that, I mean, do they have enough guys that produce enough to justify the the level of contracts that they get and, and the reason i ask this is, is it's always the same thing like if you believe Giannis or Kawhi or or uh lebron or the, the best players in the league they they in a perfect world they would set the market rate but that's not the reality there's plenty of guys who have max deals um who probably shouldn't have them but i think that's the key to, to being successful in the nba right so when you look at the blazers right now as they're currently constructed where do you see them as far as like pecking order in the league, as far as having guys that produce and, and allow you to be flexible in roster construction going forward? I mean, certainly going forward, they've got a lot more flexibility than they did over these last couple of years. Like I've, I've got them projected at about 18, 19 million in cap space next summer, which is like one of, you know, the first time that they've had cap space in a while, you know, ever since they locked in in 2016 to some of the contracts that they signed then. 
So, you know, having some flexibility moving forward is going to be very good for them in 2020. You know, if Rodney Hood opts in, that's, you know, that would be sort of a disaster for them because that means <laughs> that he played poorly enough to opt in and they lose six million in cap space. So that would be that's sort of the one of the worst case scenarios for them in terms of their their salary cap position. Obviously, there are bigger injuries that could be a, a massive problem for them, too. But, you know, just in terms of their salary cap. If Hood plays poorly enough that six million dollars is a is the market value for him, or even he's, his market value is even less than that, and he opts into that money, that would be a, a problem that would push them down, and that would you know give them a lot less flexibility. But you know, in terms of of the you know their flexibility moving forward, they do have quite a bit of it, even with Lillard and McCollum sort of set up on these bigger contracts because. The extension, especially for Lillard, doesn't kick in until 2021. It's really important for them to make hay while the sun is shining in 2020, even though that, you know, the the free agency class in 2020 is not very good and there are not, you know, a, a lot of high level star players. They don't need star players. Like they've got Lillard and McCollum. They don't need the high level guys. You know, they're not looking to make a splash with a guy like Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, that would be fantastic. That's not the point. Like they would love to do that if they could, but they're not actively looking to participate in that market. They're looking for role guys. They're looking for guys to fit around the guys that they have already. And so they're going to have enough money to to make a big splash to sign somebody who can really, you know, play the starting three, I think is the most important position. There's a lot of restricted guys. There are a lot of restricted guys who are coming up who would be interesting for that position so i think i think that they've got some flexibility moving forward once that you know once lillard's extension kicks in and he's up to 44 million in the first year then it's going to be a little bit more difficult you know i, I don't have them as as much of a, a cap space team in 2021 obviously that's a long way out so there's a lot to to be done between now and then but the, you know, the fact that they have some short-term flexibility in 2020 is going to, you know, hopefully they're going to be able to use that in order to really set this team up going forward for the next, you know, four or five years. I just want to make sure I um, am clear on what you're talking about with Rodney Hood, because I want Rodney Hood to play really well, but you're talking about it being the worst case scenario flexibility-wise for the Blazers, because if he plays really well and is worth more than the $6 million that he is owed by the Trailblazers and decides to decline and renegotiate with the Blazers or someone else, that would eat up to their cap space. Is that what you mean by that being the worst case scenario? No, I think the worst case scenario for them is that he plays so poorly that $6 million is a good number, is a, is a contract that he wants, and he opts into that contract. Oh, okay. If he plays, if he plays really well, then that's great, because then he'll opt out, and they can figure it out in the summer. If he plays really, really well, then obviously they'll want to bring him back. But if he plays well enough that $6 million is not enough for him and he wants to hit free agency, which you know I think is a fair expectation based on the position he plays, based on the value that he's shown throughout his career, that you know he took a little bit of a discount to come back to Portland to sign for that $5.7 million, the maximum that really that they could give him, that the fact that he got that player option sort of shows that he is underpaid this year on that 5.7 million. But if it turns out that he plays poorly enough that that 6 million makes sense for him and he wants to take it. it, Yeah. That would be a problem for them because not just that they'd lose that $6 million, but that means that Rodney hood played really poorly this coming year. And that's all, you know, that's obviously not good for them either as they're trying to, you know, basically contend at the top of the West. You know, they may, they may have internal championship aspirations. You know, I'm not sure that they're, you know, more than, you know, a two, three, five percent favorite to actually win the championship next year based on the other teams around the league. But 
if Rodney Hood plays super well, I think that's their best case scenario, even if that means that they've got to pay him out of that cap space or they have to pay him more or have to see him walk next summer. Okay, I like that answer much better than what I thought I heard. Because <laughs> Rodney Hood's going to have a great year. Mark my words. Oh, God, you're not going to do that to him now. I, Dan, my positivity <laughs> buoys these men, and they are going to have fantastic years once they know that I'm behind them. Oh, are you behind Hassan Whiteside, too? Absolutely. He's going to have a fantastic year. This is going to be his... Uh, comeback year well no you know what this is going to be the year where he settles into a role and and is very excited because he has a very clear plan of what he's supposed to do and how he's supposed to do it and it's all going to click and it's be going to be great right dan that sounds exactly sure. like what everybody's been saying about dwight howard for the last decade <laughs> okay wait a minute so but do you really think those two are comparable I would uh, really? I would think they're, <laughs> really? They're not like exactly the okay, same person, yeah. but Hassan Whiteside has a lot of Dwight Howard in him. They're in the same zip code. <laughs> I they, can see yeah. some similarities, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that they're in two complete I do believe they're in completely different zip codes on this one. I don't yeah. think I, I think it's uh you know, there's the potential, but it's not like this has happened to Hassan Whiteside over and over and over again. I yeah, mean, he's more in the early stages of turning into Dwight Howard rather than being full-fledged Dwight Howard at this right, point. Right, and he's going to come to Portland and it's all going to be great. And um, then who knows what happens next year. We'll talk about that later. Betting on Lillard, betting on the culture that the Blazers have, it's not a bad bet. It's just, you know, if the guy couldn't stay in in shape and engaged in, in Miami, then, like, is he going to be able to do that anywhere? Like, that would be my biggest question with him. And for people who don't, may not know... Miami is known for having the most torturous off-season and in-season rigorous workout schedule. The that's a Pat Riley thing that has been passed down now to Spolstra. There have been free agents since Pat Riley who has been running things for Miami who will not go there simply because they don't want to get in that kind of shape. Um, so, I like Jeff said, it's a bit of a red flag. But the counter to this is is like if we are always going to talk about how great the culture is in Portland and how Portland gets the most out of guys. They're this reclamation project kind of center and Damian Lillard's the best leader in sports and Stotts knows how to maximize. Like you have to at least like hope, <laughs> I guess that they have the, the, the magic dust they can sprinkle on it. But I, I think for everybody who's like, Oh, it'll just be fine. I, 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 there really is cause for hesitation and concern. Like that's, that's the reality. Okay. I'm not saying there is no cause for hesitation and concern. I'm talking about the way that the Blazers approach this, uh, this issue I think is different than the way other teams do it in Miami. The way they approach the issue is get in the weight room and work out harder in Portland new players are brought into the system and introduced to the system. No, you don't think so? Well, look, look, let's, we started off this podcast talking about how the, the Lakers went out of their way to talk about Hassan White or Dwight Howard. If he's a problem, he's gone. Remember the, the first couple articles about Whiteside after the trade? Dame reached out to Whiteside and was like, screw around at your own peril. Like if, if that was basically this, it's the same message. It's just mm. not, it's just not coming from you're gone. But I mean, Lillard's words weren't minced. Like it was when, when he was talking about 
his uh, Whiteside's relationship with Terry Stotts. You don't go to him. You, you just shut up and do it. If you've got an issue, you come to me. Like this, the, the expectations were set. So I, I think that's there. Like when we're talking about, there's some similarities. Like this is the box. Stay in the box. Don't go outside of the box. And I, I think that's going to be like the, one of the bigger and more interesting storylines of the season is how well does he stay inside the box? Well, and I think the thing that we also haven't talked about is that Portland is better at tapping into these guys' uh, internal motivation. I mean, that's what they've done with other players before. That's what they did with Mo Harkless. That's what they did with Yusuf Nurkic. They helped these guys find their internal motivation Certainly. to be better. This is not the direction I thought this conversation was going to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you brought, it, brought in another optimist in, Tara. And I think, I mean... The one, one of the things with Whiteside and particularly with the, these last couple years in Miami is that they've sort of tried to be this, this very quick, this very sort of cat-like defensive team where they're trying to get everybody out on the perimeter. Bam Adebayo is, is out at the three-point line defending guys and Whiteside just sort of can't do that. Like he's too big and, and just lumbers around too much. But, you know, they already – like. Portland, that's perfect for him. Like he's going to stand at the rim and defend the rim just like Yusuf Nurkic. And, you know, if just from a basketball perspective, there's not a whole lot of better fits out there for what Hassan Whiteside can do than what Portland wants their centers to do. So at least whether the whether the personality works or not is, you know, un, unknowable at this point. But at least from a basketball perspective, it should be fine. Like he should be able to step into Nurkic's role and play it well enough until Nurkic gets healthy. It's a certainly it's a straighter line than it was in Miami. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's not so much square peg round hole. So that is going to play a part of it. Cause I, I remember I was watching a clip uh, two nights ago of a song getting caught on a switch and having to chase somebody out of the three point line. And I was like, Oh, that poor man. Um, yeah, I mean, can't do that. No, I mean, he, he operates in, in the painted area and that's, that's it. I mean, we say the same thing about Yusuf Nurk. It's like, if we saw Nurk above the three point line trying to check somebody. You're just like, please God, don't let him fall. Like it's but just generally we, it's designed for them to not have to do that. Oh, that it's, it's explicitly so in Portland. Like they don't want them venturing above the free throw line. Like the nail is as high as they go. Yeah. Like if they get <laughs> caught out there, that's their fault because they mess something up. That's not how it's designed to go. No. Or a guard gets dies on a screen or mm -hmm. something along those lines. Yeah. But it's this, this team, as long as Yusuf Nurkic or Hassan Whiteside are at center, will never employ a switching screen, a switch, switching scheme, unless it's, you know, Andrew Bogut out there at the center position and they just, they just, they momentarily switch and drop. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think about it. If you had to define Terry Stotts by exactly one thing, I think his the fact that he drops his centers as deep as humanly possible, I think that's how you would define him as like just as a coach. That's his that's his biggest that's his most important trait is the is the how he plays defense and how he sets his teams up to to play defense and and Whiteside should fit really well into that uh, into that scheme. Well, I want to move on because I got a couple more things I want to ask you about. Um, so the next thing I wanted to ask about is, so there's, you know, during the summertime when we're all discussing free agency, there's no shortage of opinions about things that front offices do. Um, and there are even some common reactions that people have about what front offices do. So I wanted to talk to you uh, again because you've been really diving into all 30 of the um, teams and what they've done over the summer um, to find out what you think about these common tropes that, uh, that we hear sometimes in the summertime. And the first one, you've sort of touched on it a little bit, um, and that is when people say – 
you know, this player is overpaid. He's never going to live up to his contract. Um, and I'm curious what you think about, like, is that is that true? Can we really know that before someone's contract actually is over? Can we know that going into it? What are your thoughts on that typical trope that people say quite frequently? I mean, I think the value proposition of teams signing these guys to contracts, like this is the time to do it, like during the summer when they sign those contracts, because that's when the team is making that decision. The team doesn't get to say, we're going to sign you to a max deal, but two years in, we're going to be able to reverse time and get out of it if you didn't play well enough. So everybody, every if the team has to commit now and the player has to commit to that contract now, then this is the time for us to talk about does he deserve this? Do we think that this player will improve to the point where he might deserve this You know, going forward? Does he deserve it now? Is he overpaid, underpaid? All of those value talks and trade talks are the same thing. When the trade, is ha- when the trade happens, you hear a lot of people go, well, we've got to wait to see how it works out. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like the teams don't get to wait and see how it works out before they make the trade. Like they've got to project going forward they have to make you know they have to make the decision based on what they know right now so for us to think about whether they overpaid or underpaid for a player or in a trade this is when they do the trade or when they make the signing is the time to really think about it and really dive into does this make sense for team for player for you know for the teams involved for everybody who sort of has a a stake in what happens so you know for me in terms of the, the conversation around whether guys are overpaid or underpaid whether the you know, the teams are going to be able to, you know, get value for these guys in trades. You know, I think all of that stuff is super interesting for me. Like it's, it's my bread and butter. I love, you know, all the trade talks, all the, you know, overpaid, underpaid. Is this guy a positive or negative value on his contract? What would this guy get traded for if he was on the open market? Stuff like that. All of that stuff is super interesting to me. I, I, you know, I live for that sort of discussion, that sort of conversation, as long as people aren't just, you know, disingenuously saying like, oh, he's overpaid and I'm, I can't change my mind about this. It's like, well, then that's, that's not a discussion. That's just you spatting off about it. But, you know, I think the, the discussion around whether guys are overpaid, underpaid, whether teams overpaid or underpaid in a trade, all of that stuff is super interesting as long as we're not, as long as you don't think oh, well, we'll figure it out once once we know all of the information because we can't – that's not how this works in the real world. So, you know, why think about it like that now? So I think there's a difference between, you know, the story that we heard about Andrew Wiggins get, getting paid as a max because he promised that he was going to do better um, versus players like Damian Lillard who are going to be making $50 million a year in, you know, uh, 2024. <laughs> Right. I mean, do you think that those are different or, um, you know, like depending on where the the player plays, you know, is there like, you know, the Portland premium, which is something that Dan and I talk about because, you know, the Blazers have to pay more money to retain someone. Does that make him, quote unquote, overpaid? I mean, Maybe like that's so this is, you know, this is the sort of inflection point. This is when they had to make that decision. You know, the fact is that he's, you know, going to be making uh, just a massive amount of money in 2024. He's going to be, you know, a little bit older at that point. But the difference, I think, there between him and Wiggins is that Wiggins was getting paid on potential and never really showed that he was going to be anything that could possibly, you know, as soon as that contract was signed, it was like, this is one of the worst contracts in the league. Like, he, there's no... He promised, but like he's obviously like not going to actually, you know, come through on any of that. And we've seen that last year. Like he's not he's a, a replacement level wing. Like if he was 
if he, if he or Nasir Little are better next season, like I'm not sure who's going to be a better player, a better NBA player next season. Like there's a chance that Little is going to be a better player at two million dollars than Andrew Wiggins is at thirty. You know, it's just, but that's that's a whole other thing for Lillard. Like he's proven it. He's he's an All NBA kind of guy. He's an MVP candidate on you know when he's you know when he is fully healthy and has you know his uh, when he has you know one of those those great years like he did a couple years ago. He can be one of those top five, top ten NBA players throughout you know throughout the league. And so I think it's a lot easier to commit you know 170 million dollars to a guy like that. It's a lot easier to commit 50 and 54 million in in the mid 2020s to a guy like that because of what he means to the franchise because of what he's done because of the fact that he he's shown with what he's done that he could continue doing that going forward you know that he's you know a hard worker you've already paid him in the past so you've given him a max contract and he continued to get better i think that's a big thing that Wiggins obviously never got the the chance to show is they gave him a max contract they were they they made him promise that he would get better and then he decided all right i got paid that's enough you know, and Lillard got paid, he got, you know, he was already on a max contract and then was able to push his game to an even higher level. And this is, you know, that's where he just, you know, that's where you have less worry about him in 2022 checking out and being like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to get my 50 million. I'm going to get my 54 million in 2025. And just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with, with where I'm at. You know, that that's not who Lillard is as a human being. You know, that that's not who he is as a basketball player. And the fact that, the position he plays and the way he plays that position is so incredibly important and because and becomes more important with each passing year with the way that you know guys are are continuously pulling up off the dribble he's one of the the pioneers along with Steph Curry of the the sort of modern era of the of the NBA point guard where these guys are are just bombing from 35 feet all the time because they can hit those shots from out there the fact that he can continue to do that obviously the age is going to be a, a, an issue at some point. Like he's going to, you know, get, you know, run down athletically at some point throughout this extension. And, you know, perhaps in 2023 and 2024, that becomes a, a massive negative and, and he's not worth the 50 million, but between now and then he's going to be worth so much more than the money that he's paid that it's, I think it's going to, to work out in their favor. Dan, do you have anything to add? No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when it, when it comes to like, the value. This is like the the one thing that I, I I constantly go back to, and it's kind of the question I was trying to get around to earlier is, you know, what is value depending on position, depending on production, like, and how do you like, like if I if if I could come up with a metric, and I, I know people have tried because it's so hard to do it, um, like where production is, is worth X amount of dollars. Like and you could really see who overperforms that that bar, like twenty million dollars for X amount, you know, whatever the the ratio is for points, rebounds, assists, and obviously you can't take in the the intrinsic things that are out there. You can't take in the intangibles and all those things that are tougher to quantify. But like, what does a point cost? What does a rebound cost? And like when you take a look at you know, what, what Portland has, for example, in like dead salary and what they've had for the last couple of years, like those kind of things have always been interesting to me. When I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right, Tara, the difference between like black and white value for production, like when CJ signed his deal versus what reality is like, you have to re-sign CJ McCollum because it makes Dame happy, but you give him a number 
and you compare it around the league and you're like, is that really a great deal? Like you're divorcing yourself from every bit of like tangible um, feelings towards a player. And you're just looking at that ratio. Like if you look at a guy like Andrew Wiggins, like he's clearly not living into it as, as, as Jeff said, he's, he's a replacement level wing. I think he's probably slightly above that. in like, as far as like box score production, but as far as like value, probably one of the worst sunk costs in the NBA right now. And trying to understand how that all kind of bears out for the Blazers. Like, I think with a guy like Lillard, you do get the, the intangibles beyond that. Like, He's clearly on the Blazers Mount Rushmore. So even if they aren't contending in the last year or two of his deal when it's obscene amount of money, is anybody really going to care? No, but you can't really quantify that. So it's always interesting how that value discussion works when you get away from the black and white of it and you actually incorporate everything else into it. So. Jeff, I'm curious what you thought when you heard about uh, CJ's extension. Were were you you know in the like, well, yep, makes perfect sense. They got to keep CJ, or were you you know more uh, puzzled about it? I wasn't really in either one of those camps necessarily. I wasn't in the like they had to keep CJ in order to keep everybody happy. I was in the camp of like, if you can give CJ McCollum a hundred million dollars to stay on your team, you just do that. Like regardless of who else is on your team, like CJ McCollum at $33 million a year over, you know, an average of, of those three years, like that's a really good contract for me. Like, I think that that's going to be a fine contract moving forward. I don't think of that as like, there's no, I don't think personally that there's like an extra tax, that there's an extra $5 million on that contract just because he's a blazer and because he's friends with Lillard and because he's, you know, for what he's done with the team, like just on who he is as a basketball player, a hundred million dollars over three years is totally fine. Like that's just a regular, like I would be fine with that for any team. If some team had, if somehow he had been a free agent and he could have signed a five-year deal worth the, the total amount of money he'll make over the next five years, that would have been a totally fine contract for any team to sign. So for the Blazers, obviously the extra stuff makes sense for them based on who he is, based on where, you know, where he falls in the, in the hierarchy within Portland. The fact that he and Lillard are so close all of that stuff helps him, you know, provide even more value. But I, I thought immediately that that three year, hundred million dollar contract is a bargain just on its own on top before even taking into consideration the stuff that uh, he brings to the table on top of his actual play on the court. See, this is so interesting. This is why I like talking to people from, you know, who are a little bit more removed from Portland, because in my mind and in so many of the discussions that I've had, you know, Damon and CJ are so intertwined that it's nearly impossible. I like it never even crossed my mind what you said about, like, if you have a chance to pay CJ McCollum $33 million, you know, do it. It's a great, it's a great bargain. I'd never even thought about it in <laughs> with him divorced from, or, you know, not divorced. That sounds very dramatic. Um, separate from, from Damien. And by the way, just, uh, this is my, where I remind everybody that I am declaring, this is going to be the year of CJ McCollum. He's going to have a fantastic year. So we're oh, the more you, the more you try to drive that one home, the more I, I think the I don't know why end. you think it's not going to work, Dan. Well, it hasn't worked for three years. This is there's never I've never declared the year of CJ McCollum before. This is the first year I'm declaring this is the year of CJ McCollum. It's, it's my words. Hey, who wanted more alley oops last year? Hmm. Who got I mean, more alley oops last year until well, yeah. Nurkic went down? That was very sad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, we're gonna I'm gonna move on to the last thing I'm I'm curious about uh, from from you, Jeff, and it's another common theme that we hear more during the. 
uh, trade closer to the trade deadline. But the conversation typically starts in the summertime. And that is when people say you can't let player X walk away for nothing. Is that really true? I mean, it's not necessarily 100% true, but like if you if you have a very strong inkling that a guy is going to leave, getting something for him is a lot more is a lot better than getting nothing for him. You know, and obviously not trading him in February means that you have him on your team throughout the rest of the season. If you're going to make the playoffs, you have him on your team for that. And, you know, we've seen guys who decide to move on from their current teams. Kawhi Leonard is obviously the chief example here where he doesn't check out just because he knows he's going to leave or he thinks he has an inkling that he wants to leave or he's going to even just open up his options and, and see what other teams are out there. Those guys still, you know, for the most part, you know, play hard, play within the team, are still on that team until the day that they're not. Obviously, there are other examples like Kyrie Irving, who decided in December that he was done and he was going to check out. You know, so there are opposite examples of that. But I think if you have certainly for superstars, that's a much more difficult decision because they could fetch a lot more you know, in, in return in a trade in February, but also you kind of want them on your team for the playoffs. So, you know, it really depends on where you are in the, you know, sort of in the franchise life cycle where, you know, where you are competitively throughout the league. You know, it's, it, there's no like blanket answer that you absolutely should get something for somebody that you think is leaving, or you should, you know, let the, let his contract run down and walk, watch him walk away for free. You know, I think it's, it's sort of a case by case basis based on uh, just a, a ton of different factors. Yeah. So case by case basis, I guess the, the one that I, the odd thing is, is I can't really remember a time and Dan, you can correct me because I'm sure you know of a time, at least recently that the Blazers did let did not did get something for someone at the at the trade deadline they they did let Lamarcus walk away for nothing so i can see that so that was like a special Oof. situation they did let Marcus Lamarcus uh walk away for nothing but then we've had other free agents in Portland or you know other guys who termin- and you know finished out their contract here and did walk away for nothing but they weren't you know the as big as Lamarcus so like Aminu they didn't get anything for Aminu they didn't get anything for Ed Davis um and now they have a couple of really really big uh expiring contracts with uh Whiteside and Bazemore right both of those ones are expiring are like, I mean, the Blazers are always in this situation at the trade deadline where they're competing for the playoffs. So in any of these situations, like, should they? Do you think that, you know, in hindsight, they should have gone and traded for somebody instead of letting somebody walk away for nothing? I mean, I think the biggest thing that they did get out of Al Farouk Aminu is the fact that he was on their team for this Western Conference Finals run. You know, maybe they get there anyway. Maybe he... He wasn't as big a part of that, and that probably fed into their decision to to let him go uh, in in free agency and not sort of bring him back because they could have brought him back. They could have paid more than than what Orlando paid to get him. So you know they could have prioritized him in a way that they decided not to based on what they saw from him in the playoffs in the in the stretch run of the season. They didn't know where they were going to be in in February, so it's not. They didn't know. You know. I think that they they were especially before you know before Nurkic went down. 
they thought of themselves as as real, you know, high end contenders. And I think the fact that they made the Western Conference Finals without, uh, you know, without Nurkic and without really Aminu and Harkless playing all that well, that you know, they were right to do to do that. So I don't know that that was one of those case by case basis where I'm thinking they could have gotten value for Al Farouk Aminu, but it would have made them worse for a playoff run that obviously bore a lot of fruit. The fact that they were very successful in the playoffs was a is directly correlated to the fact that they had these guys on their team. So I'm not sure that you can say that they de- they got nothing for them because they got the production over those next few months that led them to the conference finals. You know, you can obviously argue about, you know, how much did Amino really help? The fact that they didn't play him all that much, you know, was is obviously a problem. Like there were issues and that's, you know, part of why he didn't resign with them, but giving up on that in advance and not knowing the fact that they, you know, the, that he was going to, you know, play like he did in, in the playoffs. I think that's where they, that's where that conversation gets a little bit muddier. The fact that you can, you can come back and say you, they didn't get nothing for him by not trading him in February because they got the, the rest of that production up until, you know, the, the, when they were bounced by, by the Warriors. Yeah, and there's there's obviously a lot of hindsight there. Um, honestly, I think the biggest one is is Lamarcus, um, the the packages that were that were out there. Um, so, but uh, and that situation's obviously a little bit different than Alfred Camino, right? Um, but the, I mean, if you believe what what's out there is that they knew he was gone. Um, I think that's, that's a failure of, of management at that point in time for, to try to just ride that out. Um, when you're the strong belief is that he's gone. Uh, Yeah. I mean, but they were in, I mean, even with Wesley Matthews down at that point, they were still, I mean, they had had a great year up until then. Yeah. The the flip side of that is it's done. The flip side of that is, is the, the packages that were rumored to be strong and available and discussed were not weak. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah. And then that's where, you know, that's where they can come across with, you know, that's where it factors in, like, what are you going to get for this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, and, the, and the not knowing the sort of the counterfactual, the, we don't know precisely, obviously there are rumors about what was, what was offered and what was actually on the table, but you know, the, what gets out there is not necessarily always what the, uh, the, the truth actually is. And so there are, I can see why for like a star level player like Aldridge, teams don't want to check out early on a guy like that. Like they would rather, they would rather hold on to him and let him walk away and try to make their case over those next few months rather than, than, than cashing out early just because, and, and I mean, also there's the, the part of it that the, it's it's just a bad look throughout the league that if you have a really good player, you're willing to to trade him. I just think in general that can be sort of a, a negative for for your franchise. So you know I understand why for for high level players like Aldridge that they that teams would the teams like Portland and in Portland's position like Boston mm-hmm. this year with Kyrie Irving where they you know probably had a pretty good idea that he was gone you know by you know December January February the fact that they hold on to those guys and just let it ride through that playoff run that playoff run can be more valuable than whatever they get back for him, especially since other teams obviously know that they're, that guy's about to hit free agency as well. 
So when you talk about the uh, the flexibility that the Blazers are looking at in the 2021 season, right? Um, I'm guessing a lot of some of that flexibility anyway comes from if the Blazers uh, let Whiteside and Bazemore's contracts expire. Is that <laughs> where? <laughs> what are you laughing at? We know that's not happening. Well, yeah, I mean, Whiteside and Bazemore <laughs> are going to be free agents next summer no matter what. So right. those contracts are expiring. And when those guys go out, they are going to have – I have I have them, a, you know, $18, $19 million in cap space. It depends on where their draft they pick comes in. They leave cap space behind, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But what I'm saying is they aren't going to finish the season here in Portland. Okay. Well, so – Oh, well, that would be interesting. What I'm getting at <laughs> – is if we're saying you can't let player Y walk away for nothing, you're assuming that that means that uh, Whiteside or Bazemore or both, I guess, or somebody will be traded for another Don't you say player. It. Don't now, you say it. Cover your ears, Dan. <laughs> Don't you say so, it. Jeff, what if that player, you know, so came in with a hundred million dollar, hundred twenty million dollar contract? Let's say he's called Evan Bluff. Yeah, I mean, so that would that would evaporate their cap space in the summer because that guy would be under contract with them, whereas Hassan Whiteside would essentially count for nothing in twenty twenty. Kevin Love would count for $28 million or whatever he's going to make in 2020, 2021. That would mean that they would not have any more cap space. They would have limited flexibility to add to their team. But of course, they would have Kevin Love on their team. But so they that got would be. Something. They would get something for Hassan Whiteside, whether they can do that, whether that makes sense for, you know, for what, what Cleveland wants. That, you know, remains to be seen. Like the whole Love thing, you know, depending on what they get for him, depending on what, you know, what the trade looks like it's going to be really interesting to see you know what they have a lot of that you know comes back to like the mike conley trade blake griffin russell westbrook the fact that these sort of second tier guys and maybe westbrook's not really a second tier guy he's sort of bordering on that first tier but like those second tier stars mike conley is really the 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 guy i'm thinking about here conley fetched like a really big you know, two firsts, a young player, two veterans for for his services on a, on a contract that a lot of people probably expected would be a negative value contract. But because Conley is such a there's so many there's so few guys who can mm-hmm. do what Conley does. There are so few guys who can do what Kevin Love does that even if he's overpaid compared to other you know stars who are making thirty million, he's underpaid compared to the guys who are making twenty million. So you know I think that there it just really depends on your your point of view who you're comparing these guys to, and the fa- the scarcity of guys who can do what Kevin Love does for a team would lead me to think that even though he's probably still overpaid, he'll fetch a positive return in a trade and and will be worth that that contract eventually just because. Again, of just the the scarcity of guys who can do things at the, at his level. Um, a guy that I think would be a nice backup plan and perhaps even a better option would be Danilo Gallinari if they can get him from from Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, we know, is sort of trying to tear it down. They're trying to you know cut their their salary a little bit. So if they could make a trade, a three team trade, you know, involving perhaps Stephen Adams going somewhere and Gallinari coming to Portland, there are some some machinations where they could do something like that, where they could bring Gallinari in, Nurkic is, is, you know, comes back and is healthy, and then Gallinari is a big part of their team for just this upcoming season. But then again, he expires, and then they would have to either negotiate with him or, or move on from him at, the, at this point next summer. So, 
you know, if they do something with Kevin Love, if they add Kevin Love to the team, that would make their financial flexibility next summer much more muted. But of course, that means that they have Kevin Love, so they don't necessarily need all that financial flexibility in order to, you know, make a high level team around those guys. Yeah, my point really about this whole thing is that it's very hard. And to just say you can't <laughs> wait, wa- let somebody walk away for nothing, like, grace, you know, grossly simplifies, I I think. You can. What? I mean, you can let somebody walk away for nothing. Like, yeah. there, there, there are certainly times where if you're in a particular marketplace where it's easier to attract free agents, then letting a bad contract expire and not bringing back something – um, if you can is beneficial. Like that's, that's yeah, it, it, I mean, it all I, depends. Yeah. And I, I think it's the whole misnomer of you're not letting him walk for nothing is also, you know, something that you, you would have to point out because it's not nothing. It's not that you're going to trade him on, you know, June 25th, you're going to trade him in February and you're going to lose, you know, those next three months and a playoff run. So I think that's, also part of it is like you're not just letting him walk for nothing. You're letting him walk in exchange for all the production that he gave you in, you know, February, March, April, and hopefully beyond that. So, you know, there's also that side of it that it's not necessarily nothing because you're going to get those months of production. Well, this has been really fun talking. Thank you guys for indulging me on these two things because those are two things that I see when people say, you know, oh, he, you know, player X is overpaid or so-and-so can't walk away for nothing. And I think it oversimplifies things. And, you know, it worked when we only had 140 characters on Twitter, but now we have 280. So we can have a little bit more complex thoughts around these things. And I would just encourage us to continue to, you know um, – look deeper into uh, some of these things that, you know, we've been saying are truth and are they really, because running a team as we, everybody knows is much more complicated than just, you know, what we as fans think we see that they should just do that. They should just trade that person. Well, sure. If it was that easy to do it, they would do these things, but it's not. Anyway, thank you, Jeff, so much for uh, joining us. Dan, do you have any other questions you want to follow up with while we have him? No, I think that we pretty much covered the, the the big ones as far as like the intrinsic nature of value and kind of what that all means. Yeah, and I would strongly suggest people if they haven't already read Jeff's article about how the Trailblazers can create and leverage cap space in 2020. It's a it's a good uh, it's a really nice read and it lays it out. Uh, you know, raises a lot of questions for me, but you know, we had him on so we can answer him. <laughs> Jeff, would you like to tell people where they can find your work? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel or at Early Bird Rights. Earlybirdrights.com is your home for all the salary cap stuff that I'm doing. Uh, Blazers Edge about the Portland Trailblazers. I'm sure people who are listening to this are interested in that. Um, Petri Hoops, if you want to you know, follow Evan Turner to the Atlanta Hawks for whatever reason. <laughs> and uh, Atlanta's and Alan Crabb is technically on this team. Uh, that's going to be fun as well. So the Hawks are uh, – all my Hawks work is over at Peachtree Hoops. Uh, the basketball writers, Forbes.com, Dime Magazine. You can follow follow me on Twitter. That's where uh, everything is uh, is posted. And your Twitter handle, did you already give that? Sorry. Yep, JG Siegel. Awesome. 
Thank you so much. You can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter. You can follow uh, Blazer's Edge at Blazer's Edge. And if you want to, you can also go to Apple or wherever it is you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Blazer's Edge podcast so you can hear what we have to say every week. Uh, let's see. Also, the Hoops and Talks podcast, you can follow that at Hoops and Talks. That'll come out on Thursday. Dan, why don't you go ahead and take us out of here? All right, Jeff, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Uh, always glad to have you on and giving your insight uh, for all of us. Uh, thank you very much. You can find me on Thursday evenings during the offseason on Blazers Outsiders at 630 on NBC Sports Northwest. This week, we do have Trailblazers beat reporter, the one, the only, Casey Holdall. Uh, I'm currently working to secure two other current trailblazers on the show, and hopefully we'll be able to announce that here pretty darn soon. Uh, you can find me on social media at DMARANG, at D-M-A-R-A-N-G. Other than that, thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Bye.